from this time on, he began to, and there's two different things. Do you remember what those two things are? They're back in chapter 4 and again in chapter 16. And it kind of, everything between there kind of is pointing towards the one, and then from chapter 16 on, it starts pointing towards another. And so in chapter 4 we read that from this time on, Christ began to teach them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? In chapter 16, then if you remember... Christ takes um, his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and challenges them. Who, who do the people say that I am? And, well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he turns around and says, well, who do you say that I am? And the answer at that point is, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right after that, it says, and from that point on, Christ began to teach them that he must suffer and die. Okay? And you see the separation there. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Okay, now we understand that. What about the fact that he must die? Look! We weren't expecting you. <laughs> I, I feel guilty now. <laughs> we can pray for him afterwards. Are, are, are things under control? Are we going home tonight? <laughs> it's good to have you, actually. Uh, we just started. Uh, Matthew, you're getting a review on Matthew before we look at um, Palm Sunday. Um, so we got this aspect that the, the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, and the, if you had to reduce that, the kingdom of heaven is, finish that, and I can make it real simple, okay? the kingdom of heaven is Christ. Um, that's pretty simple, but in a nutshell, that's what it boils down to. Um, and, and we have Christ as King. We have the next part, but the Son of Man must die and rise again in three days. Um, and so you have both Christ as King and Christ as the Lamb that must suffer and die. And we see these two aspects coming together on Palm Sunday. And Christ is identifying himself both as King and as the Lamb. Uh, what, what he's <laughs> identifying himself with, and it has to be on that day. And it's fascinating. If, if you go back to Caesarea Philippi, and at that statement, from that point on, okay, in chapter 16, until we there in Matthew 21, it tells us that Jesus, I, I love the way Luke expresses it in particular, it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Okay? At this point, okay, from that point on, Christ is headed to Jerusalem. And he's headed to Jerusalem to reveal himself as king and as the lamb that must die. But he is on a mission from that point on. And we see that, um, if you want to turn to Matthew 16, and I'm just going to show you a couple verses that kind of progresses uh, that statement. And... <laughs> leading up to uh, chapter 21. So, uh, chapter 16, verse 21. Just what we've been talking at. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be, and be killed, on the third day be raised. All right, and you jump over to 17.22. As they were gathering in Galilee, okay, if you can picture this, where is Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea Philippi is about 20 miles north of Galilee. So he's clear up there. Now in chapter 17, he's back in the Galilee region. Verse 22, chapter 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. So we've gone from Caesarea Philippi down to Galilee. Um, and then if you want to jump to um, chapter 19, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So we've gone from Caesarea Philippi to Galilee, and now we've gone south into the region of Judea. Um, and some of you are going to personally get to see this. What's that like? And you're going to you're going to ride a bus, but you're going to follow that area that Jesus traveled. All right? and, and where does he end up then? So he gets into the Judean region, and he obviously is following the Jordan River, and he comes to um, chapter 20, verse 29, and they went out of Jericho. Okay? So we see, here's this progression. And he set his face towards Jerusalem. He's got to be there. In fact, he has to be there on Palm Sunday. Um, all of the Old Testament is pointing to this. And it's pointing to this day. He's on a mission. He needs to be there. Um, and so he set his face towards Jerusalem. He's in Jericho. Where's Jericho? Well, Jericho is kind of at the base of the Jordan River and where the Dead Sea begins. It's about 70 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. So we've gone from 20 miles north of Galilee to 70 miles south of Galilee. Um, and plus you've got the Sea of Galilee in there. So he's gone about 100 miles at this point, setting his way towards Jerusalem. But I like this, okay? What happens at Jericho? Verse 29, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and a great crowd is following him from Jericho. And I think that is significant when we even talk about Palm Sunday. Uh, why do I say that? There are no palm trees in Jerusalem. Where are the palm trees? Jericho. Jericho. Where did the palm leaves come from? I think from this crowd that's following him from Jericho. Jericho, um, so you're going from Jericho to Jerusalem. That's about 17 miles. Okay. What you don't realize, though, and I don't know whether you can comprehend this or not, but you're, in that 17 miles, you are rising about 4,000 feet in elevation. Jerusalem is about 2,800 feet above sea level. Jericho is about 1,200 feet below sea level. What does that mean? 4,000 feet in 17 miles. I don't know whether you can comprehend. That's steep, okay? Um, I was trying to get a feel. I was trying to look. What can give you a feel for that? I don't know how many of you have been to the Great Smoky Mountains. Have you been to the Great Smoky Mountains? Do you know that area a little bit? It's the only thing. I, there's nothing in Ohio that can even come close to that. How do I know that? Well, our highest elevation is 1,500 feet or 1,600 feet, whatever it is at Bell Fountain. So if we went from Bell Fountain to the Gulf of Mexico, we've only gone 1,600 feet at elevation. All right? <laughs> So you got to go someplace where there's a few more mountains. So you get to Great Smoky Mountains. And so I was looking at some of these that would give us some idea. 
So have you been to Gatlinburg? Have you, you know Gatlinburg? And have you been up to the pass at Clingman's Dome or whatever that is? So that's actually about the same. That's about 17 miles from Gatlinburg up to the pass, and it's about 4,000 feet difference in elevation. In fact, it's not quite that much, but it's close. So if you can picture what that drive is from Gatlinburg to the top of the pass uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains, that's very similar to what Jesus and these people from Jericho are experiencing. Uh, Levi had a great comment. I said, well, what's the difference between Jericho and, and Great Smoky Mountains? And Levi said, trees. Because <laughs> there's no trees between Jericho and Jerusalem, but there's lots of trees in the Great Smoky Mountains. So uh, lots of rocks, lots and lots of rocks between Jericho and Jerusalem. So, um, and so this is the last stop, okay? <laughs> From Jericho to Jerusalem, and he's on a mission. But this is this is huge. And and the last and so you come to Bethage, <laughs> I'm not sure I pronounced that quite right, which is just on the um is that the eastern slope of of the Mount of Olives. And and so you get there, and this is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and in John we read. It was six days before the Passover when Jesus arrived. And so we get a sense of the timing of that. Uh, it gets kind of confusing exactly what, when they say the Passover, it gets a little confusing because often the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are interchangeable, but they're actually on two different dates. Um, Passover is always on the 14th day of the first month. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is on the 15th day. But we're only separating by a few hours. They would slaughter the lamb on the 14th day in the evening, but the Passover meal, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is actually that evening as well, but it, in the Jewish calendar, it's after the next day has already started. So it's on the 15th day. So six days before Passover is it the day of Passover is it the feast of unleavened bread I don't know okay but that gets a little confusing sometimes uh, because the new day starts at because the new day starts at Sunday yes um, as I try to look at that I think it's talking about the feast of Passover the feast of unleavened bread that it was six days before um, which gets there gets him arriving at that. Um, on Saturday, okay? So he arrives on Saturday, and then it says, and the next day was Palm Sunday, okay? Um, and so here is Christ, and, and I, I love how Luke expresses that, because you get a picture, they crested the hill, and all of a sudden, what do you see? So they get to the top of the Mount of Olives, and it's been rocks and barren and nothing there. And all of a sudden, you crest the Mount of Olives, and there's all of Jerusalem that's laying out before you. And the temple is right in front of you. <laughs> For a bunch of country boys, <laughs> this is pretty impressive. Um, it was at that time. The, Herod had made Jerusalem magnificent. If we can comprehend, and we get a little of that even today as we crest the hill there at the Mount of Olives and see the Temple Mount and all that's laying out before you. But when the temple was there, um, this temple was beautiful. And um, the pinnacle of the temple was probably about 200 feet from the bottom of it to the top of it. Um, 200 feet is pretty impressive even today, okay? Um, Herod had to get special permission to build the temple because of the magnificence of the temple competing with Rome itself. And Rome didn't like to be competed with. Uh, but Herod knew Caesar, and he had permission to build this temple. And here, laying before them, is Jerusalem. 
And now he's going to descend into Jerusalem. So we pick this up in Matthew 21. All right? Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What prophecy? This is Zechariah 9.9. Christ is deliberately fulfilling this prophecy. Even go back to Caesarea Philippi. After they said... <laughs> Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus tell him? Don't tell anyone. Basically. And we see that clear through the gospel up to this, especially in Mark. He's all the time, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. We get here, and it's like, okay, now we can say it. I'm announcing to everyone, I am the king. His actions are deliberately telling the people who he is. And they recognize that. Okay? What are they Why does riding on a donkey signify that he's the king? Well, for one thing, Zechariah 9.9. They know that their king is going to be coming and riding on a donkey. And they see the fulfillment of prophecy laid out right before them. And Christ is saying, I need to announce to you who I am. They get the king part. What they don't get is the lamb part. So I want to back up and go through scripture real quick and show you the significance of what Christ is saying on Palm Sunday. It's not only the day, it's the place. And it all has to take place here. Genesis. God is talking to Abraham. He says, Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac to the place that I will show you. Okay? It's very specific. Abraham, you have to go to this place. Remember that? How many day journey was it for Abraham to take Isaac? Three days. Took him three days to get there. All of a sudden it just hit me. This is kind of significant in itself. In Abraham's mind, Isaac was already dead. He's going there to kill Isaac. Three days later, Isaac is alive again. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. But anyway. Uh, so Isaac goes to the place. And it says, and he looked up and saw the place that God wanted him to go. And he builds an altar. He's about to strike Isaac. <laughs> an angel cries out, stop. So it's a test, Abraham. You've passed the test. And in a thicket was a ram. a ram. Okay? And Abraham calls the place. You know what the name of the mountain that Abraham calls that? The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. On the mountain of the Lord, the Lord will provide. What mountain is that? It's the same one that Jesus is going to on Palm Sunday. It's where the that's why the temple is there. Okay, we read later on that that's why David built the temple there. It turned out to be the threshing floor of Aruna. Aruna, Aruna. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, 
And, but God says, no, this is the place. And David built, well, David, David decided the place. Solomon built the temple there. But it has to be this place. Why do I say that? Even clear back, look at uh, Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. Did somebody look that up and read that? Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Okay. Two very significant things in that verse. Where are they to go? According to that verse. This, remember, this is, this is in the wilderness, Sinai wilderness at this point. This, he's talking to Moses and he said, what place are you to go to? The place that I will choose. Okay? It's not any place. God says, it's the place that I choose. This is where you will go. At this point, Moses doesn't even know what that place is. And who is to go? All the men. All the men, three times a year, are to go to the place that I choose. The first time of the year is... The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus shows up. Okay? Jesus shows up six days before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And here he comes, going in to Jerusalem. He needs to be there. He needs to be at that place on that day. Okay? Um, so what day is it? Why is it so important well, there's two very important reasons why it's this day that Jesus has to show up. Right? Exodus chapter 12. If somebody would look at Exodus chapter 12, this is the first reason why it is so significant that Jesus shows up on this day. Uh, read the first, I don't know, I think it's the first four verses there. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you, sh you shall make your count for the lamb. Read the next verse. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goat. And the, I'm getting to the verse that it has to be killed. <laughs> now you shall keep it until the 15th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Okay. Did you catch that? This, this is the very first Passover. They're in Egypt. And the, the nine plagues have just happened. The tenth plague is about to happen. And the Passover angel, the death angel is coming. And he's going to pass over those with the blood on the door. But he's very specific. Okay. Yes, you have to go out and get this perfect lamb. But you choose that lamb on what day? The tenth day of the first month. But you kill the lamb on the on the fourteenth day. Okay. God request. It's a little more than a request. He wants his people to do this every year. This is how you celebrate Passover. You choose the lamb on the 10th day, you kill the lamb at twilight on the 14th day, and you celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread that same evening, though it's the next day. It's the 15th day of the month. Um, remember that these months are lunar months, okay? <laughs> Which is kind of fascinating. So the first of the month is always new moon. So, the 14th and 15th of the month is what? Full moon. 
So Passover is always full moon. It will always be full moon. How do we determine when Easter is in Western culture? It's always the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox, which is a very complicated way to choose Easter, but they do that in trying to keep with the fact that Passover is always a full moon. Uh, but we always celebrate Easter on a Sunday, so it's always the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Uh, that's not how the Jews determine when Passover is, okay? But that's how, and it's often the same day because we're close. Um, I don't know whether you need to know all this or not, but it's kind of fascinating. Anyway, so what's taking place on this day? What is Palm Sunday? It's Lamb Selection Day, okay? It's Lamb Selection Day. Jerusalem, so what else do we know? Who is required to be there? All the men from all over the world <laughs> are really expected to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is still four or five days away. So why is Jerusalem already crowded? They have to be there to select the lamb. Uh, actually, they shouldn't have to be there to select the lamb. Uh, if they brought their own lamb with them, they could show up on Passover, on the 14th day. Uh, it's interesting what has happened in these 1,500 years since Moses. Uh, people would show up with their own lamb, and all of a sudden your lamb is not good enough. The money changers that you see where Christ goes on this same day that he's entering, what are they doing? What are the money changers all about? Conveniently, they're selling lambs that qualify for the Passover. Our lamb's good enough, yours isn't. And for a little bit of a profit, we'll sell you this lamb. They were Jews back then, okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, it, it was... <laughs> Wasn't scriptural what they were doing, and they turned the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You have made it into a a den of thieves. All right, and so Jesus is purposely showing up on this day. Okay, why? Because it's Lamb Selection Day. What is he signifying by coming in? On Lamb Selection Day. I'm the Lamb. Okay? The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and die. Suffer and die. And on the third day be raised again. What day did Jesus die? Jesus died on the 14th day of the first month when all the lambs were killed. And Jesus breathed his last, and it was probably around 3 o'clock. In fact, we know it was um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon Jesus died. He was on the cross for six hours, from 9 to 3, and he died at 3 o'clock. Who else died at 3 o'clock? All the lambs that were selected die at that point. Jesus <laughs> is fulfilling this to the law, to the letter. What else is happening at this point? And I find this extremely fascinating. And, and Anne's probably done the research on this as well. But look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, 26, 27. Um, a very, very important part of Scripture. Don't miss this. <laughs> um, how did Simeon and Anna know that it was time for the Christ to be born? This passage right here. There was a timeline that God set up in Scripture. Who is coming? Who is coming? Daniel 9, 25. Would somebody read that? 
Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, the Ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So there's seventy sevens decreed. But from the time of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, or until the Anointed One is revealed, is 69 sevens. All right? So immediately you got to ask, well, what is a seven? Um, or you can call it a week. But it's, it's a week of years, okay? So in 483 years from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one is revealed. There will be 483 years. Um, to me, this is absolutely fascinating. Are you familiar with Sir Robert Anderson? You should get to know this guy. He's one of your British highlights. I've always heard the name because I knew he did the research. I had no idea who it was. Do you know who Sir Robert Anderson is? Do you know what his occupation was? He was a... Wait a second. I do know. Was it an astronomer or something like that, wasn't it? Actually, much more interesting than that. Okay. He was actually second in command of Scotland Yard. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. I did know that. Uh, fascinating. Okay, so back in the 1880s, 1890s, I think he retired from Scotland Yard in 1901 or something. All right? This guy and was well-renowned for his ability to research. Uh, who else lived in London in the 1880s, 1890s? Jack the Ripper. It was Sir Robert Anderson that did all the research on Jack the Ripper. All right? Uh, it's interesting he made the comment that he thought Jack the Ripper was getting way too much press. Um, so, I'll just throw that out there in case you needed to know that. But anyway, you know, I'd always heard of Sir Robert Anderson. I had no idea who he was until I read his obituary today. Anyway, <laughs> this guy was a stickler for detail. And he wrote several books on this topic. <laughs> However, he wrote many more books on theology. He loved theology. Um, he was raised in a Christian home. He was, he was actually born in Dublin. And um, came, actually, London invited him because they knew of his reputation to come from Dublin to England to help with some of the uprisings of Ireland. And just to research that, that's how he ended up in London. But he, he absolutely loved the details of Scripture. And he would dig into Scripture, and he would dig into history, and he would research this all out. And so this is one of the things that he found fascinating. And so he did the research on this. When was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem? So remember, this is Daniel. And Daniel was probably taken into captivity around 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came in and was destroying Jerusalem. All right? And so we know at the end of that 70 years, um, the Medes and the Persians came in and Cyrus was there. And, and we see Daniel still <laughs> in the kingdom at that point, even after the Medes and the Persians are there. And this is when Gabriel comes to him and gives him this prophecy. So it's in 530 B.C., something like that. So we know it's after that. Um, Cyrus actually makes a proclamation. You can read the end of 2 Chronicles and the first few verses of Ezra, and it's talking about Cyrus making the decree to go and rebuild the temple. It says nothing about Jerusalem at that point. Cyrus wants the temple rebuilt. And, and so Sir Robert Anderson took this into consideration. So when was the decree to rebuild Jerusalem? 
Well, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, the king realizes that Nehemiah has this heart that is heavy, and he asks him why, and Nehemiah says it's because Jerusalem is in ruins, and he tells Nehemiah, go and rebuild the city. What day did that take place? March 14th, 445 B.C., at least according to Sir Robert Anderson, um, who was a stickler for detail. March 14th, 445 B.C. How <laughs> many years is it in prophecy that the Messiah then will appear, will be revealed? Well, we know it's 483 years. Okay, according to that prophecy, it's 483 years. Well, he wasn't satisfied with that. So, according to Daniel, what is a year? And he's got some evidence in there because God shows him a little bit. Uh, there are three things that it mentions during that time. He talks about time, times, and a half a time, which ends up to be three and a half years, which is the same... <laughs> as 42 months, which is the same as 1,260 days, I think. And they're all three there together. Well, all of a sudden he realizes that according to Daniel, a year, which would coincide with a Jewish calendar, is 360 days, not 365 days. Okay, <laughs> does that make much difference? Well, after 483 years, it does make a little difference. So anyhow, he took the 360-day year, multiplied it by 483, came up with 173,880,000 days. From April 14th, 445 B.C., at 173,880 days, you come up April 6, 32 A.D. You know what happened on April 6, 32 A.D.? Palm Sunday. I didn't do the research, okay? If you got an argument there, go talk to Sir Robert Anderson. Uh, and, and I'm not sure how you could be that exact, but he thought it was very significant that it is that day that Christ revealed himself as the Messiah. And part of the reason for that is Luke chapter 19. We turn to Luke chapter 19. Verses, uh, that's 41 through 45. And Luke 19 and verse uh, 28 is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So we get down to verse 41. And... And Jesus is actually on his way down the Mount of Olives when we get to verse 41. Okay? So he's on his way down the Mount of Olives, and he stops here. And this is what we read about Jesus. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? On what day? On this day, on this day, what would you, even you had known on this day, the things that made for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and uh, hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and catch this, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You want to say that another way? Because you did not know the time that the Messiah is revealed. You didn't understand. I mean, there's been several questions asked about that if they would have understand 
could have Christ set up his kingdom at that time? Well, that's a hypothetical situation that's never going to happen, okay? Uh, Christ knew that that wasn't going to happen. He knew that they weren't going to understand. He also knew he had to die. That's for you and me, okay? Whether he could have set up his kingdom or not, I don't know, but he knew he had to die um, to fulfill the covenant. He knew they weren't going to understand. They missed it. Right? On what day? On this day. On this day. Um, and that's why Sir Robert Anderson uh, is so convinced that it's to the day of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. It is Lamb Selection Day, and it's the day that Christ is revealing himself as the king. The king is the Lamb. It is also, I am a numbers type of guy. Anyway, 30 chapters of the gospel. There's 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 30 of those chapters, 30 of the 89 chapters are devoted to the last week of Christ's life. Okay, Over a third of the chapters of the gospel are devoted to this last week. Um, I think we better pay attention. Okay, um, Christ has several days. In fact, it says that he went and taught daily at the temple. Uh, his, it's leading up. Uh, he desired to have the Passover meal with his disciples. Okay, it's coming, guys. It's coming. In fact, different places we read, and they didn't understand until after the resurrection. It's the resurrection that all of a sudden everything falls into place. Uh, it's coming. So, thoughts, comments about any of that? It's curious, Wes. I've never heard a, a, a Jewish person's reaction to you know the, what you brought up. But do you know uh, any instance where? A, you know, a Jewish person has been presented this. And... That's that's a great question. I know, I know a typical Jewish answer to other things that are so obvious. Um, in fact, I have this personally. You can ask them what's this talking about, and they'll say Jesus, and you'll say, and their next response is, "Well, I need to go ask the rabbi." Why would they say that? It's because the Talmud has as much significance, authority, as Scripture itself. And very few Jews actually read the Scriptures. They wait to be told what the Talmud says about the Scripture. They would rather read the commentary as the Scripture itself. Um, and so, what does the Talmud say about these things? But that's a great, it would certainly make you think, wouldn't it? <laughs> we'll try that when I'm in Israel here in a few months. Uh, in fact, if you come with us, we'll let you try that, Chris. That's a, <laughs> uh, quite, I mean, Levi, I, we, you, in fact, it was the young people that was talking to our Jewish guide. And um, the last time I was there, the Jewish guide came up to me and made a point, don't try and convert me. Okay. So our young people did. So. <laughs> and, I, you know, I didn't tell anything, but it was, it was the young people who went up to him. And so, you know, so who is Jesus to you? And it was fascinating, his response, because he knew Jesus was this very, very special person and would call him his best friend I think the only thing that kept him from making a personal commitment was he was convinced to be, to accept Jesus would, to be, would be to give up to be a Jew and that is such a stumbling block um, but he certainly knew his scripture so that was interesting, thank you guys for taking up what I wasn't allowed to do there, so it was uh, that was pretty neat.
Other. I know why I said astronomer because I have in my notes here. A little over 100 years ago, a believer named Robert Anderson was head of Scotland Yard's investigative division. He became intrigued by the three days and three nights issue and enlisted the help of the Royal London Royal Observatory to investigate the problem since astronomers can locate the exact position of planets and stars on any date in history. And it goes on to say basically what you've said here about you know fixing it and how you get like the three days and the three nights in the tomb and which is the picture of Jonah um, and you know it's not it can't be Friday because it just doesn't add up in my book but then it says that this information is I mean it's written in the stars when you figure out uh, and it is the, the but another thing that's interesting and these two articles have this um, and it, it has really really affected my Christian life um, you know those things I've never been able to have the advantages of Robert Anderson and, and go check it out with the Royal Observatory and everything. But um, what have I seen? Now, it's not necessarily in my lifetime, but in my parents' lifetime, was the creation, the recreation of Israel and the land. And all of these numbers, you extrapolate them forward, and they come out. And this one article, it's to the exact day, and one is to the year that Israel would be reborn as a nation. And I. You know, I don't speak computer, so I gave this to um, Dr. Bjornstad down at Cedarville to look at, and he came back and he said, yes, these are accurate. And, um, he wasn't quite as convinced that you could come down to the exact day of um, May 15, 1948, but he said, yes, the year is, is very clear. Wow. So that was here. And so I am looking at, in my lifetime, a place that I've been, exactly what was prophesied, exactly on schedule. It, you know, it's this whole business of, you know, if the Lord tarries. No, he's right on time. We might not know when that time is, but he's always right on time. And and that's why, I mean, Jesus set his face and nothing is going to deter him. Even when Peter says, oh, no, we'll never let that get behind me, Satan. You're, you're thinking like Satan. You are not wanting to fulfill the will of the Father. So, anyway, but yes, I, I find all of that very fascinating. I, I, um, and it is. Uh, one thing, I mean, you think, I mean, here's Sir Robert Anderson looking at scripture, but this is 1890, okay? <laughs> there is no Israel in 1890. And he, he was a very literalist interpretation of scripture, the day says this, okay, it's got to mean this. And uh, he was so convinced that there would be an Israel. <laughs> uh, he was so convinced that there would be a rapture, uh, just from the little interpretation of Scripture. And here, it's a little easier for us because there is an Israel now. But in 1890, there was no Israel. Uh, so I commend him for it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> not, not substituting the church or something else. That, oh, well, it must be this. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he does. Uh, but he wouldn't have been raised that way yeah. as a Presbyterian. But he was such a stickler for detail. That, uh, that was part of it. So, Great thoughts? Um, I would love to share communion with you at this time. If I carry you, want to help pour some of that? I don't even know how many. No, okay. Uh, I hope you caught that, <laughs> the significance, um, and I'm not going to make arguments about anything here, <laughs> but figure it out. If Lamb Selection Day is on the Sunday the 10th, and the Passover lamb is killed on the 14th, what day is that? Thursday. Okay, it's Thursday, and <clears throat> a lot of uh, a lot of churches are going to have a Good Friday service, and I commend them for that. Uh, I, we're going to have a good Thursday service. Tonight, so. <laughs> but again, it's not an issue that you need to make a big deal out of. But it really makes Scripture come together if you just pay attention and. Uh, it's interesting as you read commentaries. Uh, 
you have to add a day of rest in that week to come up with a Friday. Mark is so detailed. This happened this day, the next day, the next day. Well, if that's the case, he has to die on Thursday. Uh, so why do we... Again, I don't know what you need to do this. But anyway, you're going to hear this. Why are we so convinced that it was Friday? Because the next day was the Sabbath. Because the, And John tells us, and the next day was the Sabbath. Well, if the Sabbath is Saturday, how can he die on Thursday? Um, and it's really not that complicated... If you read the Old Testament. Well, there's actually... What, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is also a special Sabbath. So, if the next day is the Sabbath, and actually, that word in John, Sabbath, can be translated plural. It could be the next days were the Sabbaths. You throw that in there, and all of a sudden you have a Thursday day. Um, what would we like to sing first? We'll sing a song and have communion, and then we'll sing another song. How about that? Yeah, okay. Thank <laughs> you. 